Amen. Amen. Um, the, um, I was going to say something. What was it? It was about small groups. So like this breakthrough thing that we talked about, remember, all through September and October, it's happening now, okay? We're in January, and so one of the parts of this is not just the construction in the worship center. It's not just our uh, Breakthrough Christian Practices retreat that's coming up here in a couple of weeks, but also our new small groups. We've started uh, 12 new small groups. They're going to begin uh, meeting together uh, at the end of this month, and so we're putting those together now. And remember, this is not just dinner and a Bible study. These small groups are going to uh, really be focusing and uh, organized around the formation zones of knowledge, community, Christian practices, and mission. And so we're putting those groups together right now. We've got the leaders. We've been trained. We're ready to go. We're excited about it. We've been praying about this for several months. What we need is people now to fill those groups. And so if you are not yet in a small group, please do that right now. Just You can sign up on the GCR app. You can go to the church website. Put yourself in a group. These are one-year groups. And again, you've heard me say it a hundred times. If you will give yourself to this and give it to the Lord and just submit to it and say, God, for one year, I'm going to throw myself into these Christian relationships and these Christian practices and whatever ministry or mission we're going to do together in this city, I'm telling you right now, if you'll give yourself to it, God will change you. He will. And through that, he'll change our church. And maybe, maybe he'll change our city. So do that for me this afternoon. In the fall of 1862, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, setting free hundreds of thousands of slaves in the United States. The federal mandate outlawing slavery went into effect January 1st, 1863. All the slaves in the United States are now free, but the 200,000 or so slaves in Texas didn't get the good news. Texas had left the United States, of course, and joined the Confederacy. And so since they were not a part of the United States, Texas slave owners didn't really care what the president of the United States had to say. And so the slaves in Texas continued to live in bondage. They continued to live in chains, in captivity. 1863, 1864... As the Civil War dragged on, it became very clear that the United States Army had the rebels outmanned and outgunned and out everything. The United States had more firepower, more manpower, more resources, and the outcome was now inevitable. The end was in sight. But the Texas slaves continued to live in bondage. They continued to live in subjection, in poverty and abuse. April 9, 1865, General Lee finally surrenders to Grant at Appomattox, and the war between the states is now officially over. All the slaves are now free, except the slaves in Texas. Nobody told the slaves in Texas the good news. Nobody told them they were free. Nobody told them they had been delivered, and so they continued to live in slavery in bondage, in poverty, in fear. Nobody told them. 
There were new rules now. There was a new law. There was a brand new order. The war had been won, and everything now had changed. There was a new reality for these slaves in Texas, but they didn't know. Nobody told them. And so the slaves continued to live in oppression. April, May, June, June 19, 1865, nearly three years after the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed, two and a half years after it had gone into law, more than 10 weeks after the official end of the war, Major General Gordon Granger took 2,000 U.S. troops into Galveston to proclaim the good news. General Order Number 3. The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with the proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves, and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and free laborer. All slaves are now free. And man, did the former slaves celebrate with music and dancing in the streets and, and whooping and hollering and eating and drinking and impromptu parades and, and made-up signs and banners. They were free. They were no longer captive. They were no longer in bondage. No more chains. No more fear. No more oppression. Everything had changed. Everything was new. It had been that way for a while. But nobody had told them. So Drew Camp, where are you, Drew? Drew's right here. Y'all know Drew? Drew is an automotive mechanic, okay? Drew owns Wall Street Automotive here in Midland. Drew's job is as a mechanic. And so, Drew, since that's your job, you fix people's cars. And Drew, because that's your job, auto mechanic, you have to know the difference between a dipstick and a spark plug, right? You've got to know where the timing chain is. You've got to know how to do all this stuff. You've got to be able to fix brake rotors and uh, uh, switch out engine valves and all the stuff I don't know how to do. That's what you've got to do. That's your job. You do it every day because you're a mechanic. Now, do you have to be reminded that that's your job? I mean, does the Chamber of Commerce have to send you a letter once a month at Drew? Now, since you're an auto mechanic in the city of Midland, we need you to fix people's cars every day. You don't need that. Why? Because you're an auto mechanic, and you know your job. You know what you're supposed to do, and you do it. Where's Kayla Hudgens? Are you in here, Kayla? Here's Kayla. Do you all know Kayla? Kayla is a respiratory therapist here at Midland Memorial Hospital. And so, Kayla, because you're a respiratory therapist, your job is to help people live who can't breathe. And so, Kayla, part of your job is knowing how to work the ventilators and how to work the life support systems. And part of your job is dropping whatever you're doing and leaving wherever you are to get to where you're needed so you can perform these life-saving uh, uh, practices, care, so you can give care. That's your job. That's what you do. Do you have to be reminded every day? That that's your job? No. 
Does a hospital administrator have to call you every morning? Do you have to get texts and emails from doctors and nurses saying, now, Kayla, because you're a respiratory therapist, we need you to give oxygen to our patients. We need you to give drugs into their lungs when they can't breathe. No, you don't need that. Why? Because you're a respiratory therapist. That's your job. You know what you're supposed to do, and you do it. Nobody has to tell the pumpkin farmer to plant seeds and water the plants. Why? Because he knows what he's supposed to do, and he does it. Nobody has to tell the real estate agent, you need to sell houses. Why? Because that's her job. She knows what she's supposed to do, and she does it. You don't have to remind a linebacker to make tackles. He knows what he's supposed to do, and he does it because it's his job. According to a recent study by the George Barna Group, Lots of Christians in the United States. Now, these are, these are people who see themselves as Christians. These are people who call themselves Christians. This survey is done with people who acknowledge the Christian religion as very significant for their own lives. They do not consciously think of themselves as representatives of Jesus. 12% of American Christians say that they are often aware that they represent Jesus. 19%, now we're talking about Christians, 19% say they are sometimes conscious of that responsibility as representatives of Jesus. 26% of this country's Christians say they rarely or never think of themselves in this way as representing our Lord to the people around them. And I'm thinking, wait a second, you're a Christian. That's your job is to proclaim the good news. Because you're a Christian, you declare the new world order. You testify to the universal reign of Jesus. You're a Christian. That's your job. Nobody should have to remind you that that's your job. Like the elders shouldn't have to text you twice a day to remind you you're a Christian. You should be proclaiming the gospel today. I shouldn't have to call you every week or leave a message on your desk reminding you that you're a Christian and that you're supposed to be proclaiming the gospel. You know this already because you're Christians. You know what you're supposed to do. You don't need reminding. I think we need reminding. I don't know why, but for some reason, we need constant reminding. Me too. Let's do a quick refresher, super quick, on the story of God. Remember the story of God? It wasn't that long ago, okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Act one, creation, right? God Almighty speaks order into chaos. He creates life and community in the, in the beauty and the harmony of a perfect world. And all people now living together in a righteous relationship with one another and with God. And then sin enters the story. Act two, the crash. Men and women rebel against God and they separate themselves from God's presence. And the earth is now cursed by sin and death and brokenness, and so are the people. And then God's restoration work began. God's determination to forgive and redeem, his great desire to live with his people drove the creator of heaven and earth to make promises. This is act three, the covenant. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. I will make my dwelling with you. You will be my people, and I will be your God. 
And then God comes to this earth. Act four is Jesus Christ. God puts on our human skin in Jesus. God literally becomes our flesh and blood, and he does make his dwelling among us. And he shows us that he will bear any burden. He will suffer any affliction. He will do anything. He'll do everything. He will die a human death to make his promises come true. And then God raised Jesus from the grave. The power of the Holy Spirit brings Jesus out of the tomb and inaugurates the church. Act 5, the church. All people are now under the righteous reign of Christ. The whole world now belongs under the lordship of Jesus. And his ambassadors start proclaiming this good news. The emissaries of Jesus are sent out to declare his rule and to call all people now to allegiance to him. Christian communities begin to take shape, pledging their loyalties to the new king and proclaiming every day this new universal order. Act 5 in the story of God is the proclaimed kingdom, the era of God's church. Act 5 is the port of the, the, the part of God's story in which we are all pushed out onto the stage. The curtains open, the lights come up, and there we are. We're on the stage now, and we've all got lines to say, and we've all got parts to play. We've been given a role in the story of God, and it's not an insignificant role. It's not a cameo. It is a very important role. God's church was established by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in order to proclaim to the world the good news. We are telling all nations that God himself has come here in our flesh and blood to establish his rule and to forgive and redeem and restore all of creation and every man, woman, and child on this planet. We are no longer enemies of God. Church, that is truly good news. And it's real. It's real. 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you, the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, what God has done, brothers and sisters, what God is doing. It's real. We've seen it, right? We, we've heard it. We've touched it. This is real. This is what we proclaim. This is about eternal life. We testify to this. We, we proclaim this. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, I am compelled to proclaim the good news. Woe to me, he says, if I do not proclaim the good news. Those who receive the salvation of God in Christ, those who live in the lordship of Jesus, can't help but proclaim it. A lot of you are like this, like, I don't know, like some of you, I've heard this before. I've heard you say things like this before. Like you get a new soap. Like you discover this new soap and you can't shut up about it. Like you're telling people about this soap, right? Oh, I love the way it smells. I love the way it makes my skin feel. You got to try this new soap. It'll change your life. I hear that kind of stuff. 
You know, you go to the movies, it's a really good movie. You're telling all your friends, that movie is amazing. It blew me away. You got to go see this movie. We do that with restaurants. I love that place. You got to go to that place. That's the same way disciples of Jesus are about the good news of the Lordship of Christ. If you're a Christian, your job is to proclaim the gospel. Because you're a Christian, you declare the good news of the new order of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's your job if you're a Christian. Does anybody have to remind you that that's your job? Oh, but hold on a second, Alan. I I don't have that kind of personality. Okay. I I don't have that that kind of knowledge, Alan. I, I don't have a grasp on theology. All right. Alan, you don't understand. I, I don't have a, a background or a, a Christian college education. I don't, I don't have the confidence. Okay, uh, probably. Alan, I don't have all the answers to all the questions. No, you don't. And I'll give you that. I'll give you all of that. You may not have any of those things. Let me tell you what you do have. Here's what you've got. You have Holy Spirit power. That's what you have. You have God's Holy Spirit. You have the personal spirit of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ living inside you. You have Holy Spirit power. And the reason you have Holy Spirit power is so you can proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's through that power, that proclamation coming out of your mouth and out of your life is effective. It will work. In Acts chapter 1, the very beginning of the church, after his resurrection, Jesus taught his followers through the Holy Spirit, it says. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. Verse 4, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses, my messengers, my testifiers, my proclaimers. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Amen. The part that we're playing now in Act 5 of the story of God can only be played by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way it works. And this is so important that we understand this. Look, here in Acts 1, the mission is urgent. The good news has got to be told. But Jesus wouldn't let them start until after they received the Spirit. They were prepared. These disciples had all been taught. They were eyewitnesses. They were ready to go, but not without the Spirit. It wasn't going to work without the Holy Spirit. And when the followers of Jesus do receive the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, they can't be stopped, right? They they boldly proclaim the gospel of the Lordship of Jesus, and 3,000 people are baptized on that one day. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are said to be filled with the Holy Spirit when they are proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God to the Sanhedrin. And when they're released from jail, because 
When you proclaim that Jesus is Lord, you're that Caesar is not. And that's always going to get you in trouble. So when they're released from jail, the Bible says the church prayed. And verse 31 says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. In Acts chapter 6, Stephen is facing opposition to the message, and the members of the synagogue began to argue with him. Verse 10 says, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Throughout the whole New Testament, the Holy Spirit fills disciples of Jesus with the strength they need to meet all kinds of proclamation challenges. The Holy Spirit gives boldness. He gives courage. He gives the right words to say, and he provides the power to say them. Think about these disciples in the Bible. They didn't have any academic advantages. They didn't have any political connections. They didn't have any financial strength. These disciples had no upper hand over anybody at all. What they had was Holy Spirit power. And by that divine power, they proclaimed the kingdom of God. And by that power, their proclamation was effective. It worked. And listen, Listen to me. You have Holy Spirit power. You do have the power of God's Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's inside you. And I don't know how that works. Trust me. I'm telling you right now. I can't explain it to you fully because I don't understand it fully. But I believe it. And I trust it. He lives inside you. God's Spirit is inside you. 1 John chapter 3. Listen to this. This is how we know that we belong. Ah, verse 24, my bad. This is how we know, though. I should read that whole thing. Verse 24, here we go. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Listen to chapter 4, verse 13. We know that we live in him and he in us. How? Because he has given us of his spirit. We've seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Verse 15, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. The power of God's Spirit belongs to you. He's inside all disciples of Jesus. And the whole point of it all is for the proclaiming of the kingdom of God. In John chapter 14, this is, this is that last night around the table with all of his disciples. Listen to the words of our Lord Jesus from John 14. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we will come to him. And we will make our home with him. Verse 26, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Verse 20, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Verse 12, I'm telling you the truth. 
Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these. Wait a second. Greater things than Jesus? Are you kidding me? The audacity. How does that work? By God's Holy Spirit. It's the only way. Wait a second. Greater things than Jesus? Yes. Think about this just for a second. Jesus Christ spent his entire lifetime preaching and teaching in Israel. Less than 6,000 square miles. Less than a tenth of the size of the Permian Basin. That's where Jesus was. And then his disciples, not Jesus, his disciples, by the power of the Holy Spirit, spread the good news of the kingdom of God all over the world. The kingdom of God and the reign of Jesus was proclaimed to the Roman Empire, and then it was preached in every nation under the sun by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Greater things than Jesus. And that same Holy Spirit belongs to you. The good news is still being proclaimed today by God's church. It is still being declared and lived today by Christians, ordinary Christians, run-of-the-mill Christians with jobs and families and lives, all of it compelled and empowered by God's Holy Spirit. You've heard about Damar Hamlin this past week the uh, defensive back for the Buffalo Bills. On Monday Night Football, were y'all watching? I was, we were watching that live. I know a lot of y'all were. If you weren't watching it live, I know you've heard about it and you've seen it. Hamlin's making a tackle on a Cincinnati Bengals wide receiver, and he just got hit in the exact wrong spot at the exact wrong time, and he had a heart attack right there on the field. He dropped dead at the 40-yard line. His heart stopped beating. He stopped breathing. Uh... They're doing CPR right there on the football field, live. And it was awful. It was terrible. They bring an ambulance out onto the field, and they're working on him. They're doing CPR. They had to resuscitate him twice before they could put him in the ambulance and take him to the hospital. They canceled the game. I mean, it was an awful scene. The whole thing was, it was shocking. And so Damar Hamlin is on life support in critical condition in the ICU in this Cincinnati trauma hospital. And all the newscasters and the sports commentators, this is Monday night, they're all talking about thoughts and prayers. Did y'all pick up on that? I mean, they were all doing it on every channel. Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter Monday night. He must have said it 20 times. All we can do is pray for Damar. We're all praying for Damar. Everybody's praying for Damar. We at ESPN are praying for Damar. Carrie Ann and I were like, that is something. Pretty awesome. And then the very next morning, Tuesday morning, on ESPN's NFL Live, Dan Orlovsky did it. You know, like, this is a little bit different. I heard, I've heard it all day, like, thoughts and prayers. And you just heard Scherf and Jonathan Allen say, like, all we can do is pray for him and I've heard the Buffalo Bills organization say that we believe in prayer. And maybe this is not the right thing to do, but I want it's just on my heart that I want to pray for it is. DeMar Hamlin right, right, right now. Um, I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head, and I'm just going to pray for him. Um, God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard, uh, because we believe that you're God, and coming to you and praying to you um, has impact. We're... we're sad, we're angry, um, and we want answers, but some things 
are unanswerable. We just want to pray, truly come to you and pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar, to be with his family, to give them peace. If we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. Um, I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up Damar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. 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 That's powerful. Why? Why is that powerful? Was it his eloquent words? No. I mean, he did not, that was not a prayer that you ever heard or said most of your life. In any Bible class, any setting, you've heard and prayed those same words. It wasn't his words. What made that? You know, we saw that Tuesday morning, Carrie Ann and I are just bawling. I mean, we're just, we've got goosebumps. It's, that was a significant thing. Why? Why was it significant? Because we know only God's Holy Spirit can compel that kind of thing. And I don't know that I see the manifestation of God's reign and God's spirit on ESPN very often. Right? I mean, honestly. That's a different deal. That's why it was so impactful because Dan Orlovsky is standing in the very center of the powers of this world. He is standing in the very center of the values of this country and the pain and the sickness of this world. And he is proclaiming out loud something different, something other. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God in the middle of this. Nobody does that without God's Holy Spirit. It wasn't his words. The Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians 2, the message and the proclamation are not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Listen to me. You've got to hear this. The same power that makes Dan Orlovsky's prayer so impactful, the same power that compelled him to pray, and the same power that made his prayer go around the world in about 20 seconds. Is the same power that you have inside you to proclaim the gospel of God no matter where you are, no matter what's going on around you. Same power. We're living today in Act 5 of God's story, okay? And as a church, look, we don't just offer a building here for services or a gym, right? And we don't just talk about eternal life for all of us when we die. That's not it. We are commissioned by Jesus to tell the world that he really is the Lord of all. And we summon the nations to obey, to get in line with the new reality. It's not a rescue mission as much as it is a reality mission. Back a long time ago when kids used to play outside with their friends, remember that? My mom would come out into the driveway and she would proclaim when dinner was ready, okay? She wouldn't come out very far, but she'd stand there in the driveway, and she would give me a two-line proclamation. Supper's ready. Come on. Two lines. That's it. That was truth, right? One line declared the reality. The food has been prepared. The second line was an invitation. You should come participate. Now it's up to me to respond. I did almost every time. <laughs> almost every time. I dropped what I'm doing. I'm in the house occasionally, 
Rarely. I would stay outside so we could finish whatever we were doing so I could throw another rock, whatever, right? And I'd walk in late, and they're already eating. Nobody ever apologized for starting without me. Hey, the truth had been proclaimed. It's up to me now to respond to that truth. Listen, I want to give you one practical thing here this morning, okay? To go along with all the other practical things we've talked about, okay? I think the message that we proclaim every day is simple. Three lines, not two. You ready? All of us can do this every day. The first thing we we declare is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is the king. He is in charge of all of it. And we bow only to him. Second thing, God is fixing everything. He is. Everything that's broken in your world, he's fixing. Everything that's gone wrong in this world that we live in and in your world, he's making right. God's taking care of things. The third thing, you need to get in on it. You need to switch jerseys and live into this new reality, this eternal reality that the kingdom of God has come and Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, some people will respond and some won't. We can't make them. That's not our job. Our job is to proclaim. We proclaim the good news. The whole point is that the world has turned a new corner, church. A new age has arrived. The entire earth has a new king. And people have got to be told about it. Because not everybody knows. Not everybody knows. Just like the slaves in Texas. Most people today in a world where Jesus is Lord, they don't know. They're still serving the old kings. They're still slaves to the old systems. Thousands of people in Texas today, thousands of people right here in West Texas with us are yearning for freedom. They're living in bondage. They don't know they've been liberated. They don't know that all their hopes and dreams have already been fulfilled. They don't know that the enemy has already been crushed and that the new order has already been established. They don't all know that their rescue has been signed and sealed and delivered by the blood of Jesus Christ. They don't know because they haven't been told. That's our job, okay? That is our job. We are the messengers, And by the power of God's Holy Spirit, we're up for it. We experience God's restoration every day. We have received His grace and His peace. We can speak of a new creation because the Lord has already won the war. And He is reigning right now today at the right hand of our Father in heaven forever. So listen, let me tell you, in case you haven't heard, you are saved By the blood of Jesus Christ. In case you haven't heard, you're free. You are liberated. There are no more chains. It's over. You belong to God. Why do I tell you that? So you can tell other people. It's not for your sake. It's for the sake of everybody you're going to come into contact with this afternoon, tonight, and tomorrow. I don't want to have to send you an email tomorrow, okay? I'm telling you right now. You look somebody in the eyes this week, and you tell them, tell them, Jesus is Lord. Isn't it great? God's fixing everything. Isn't that good news? Tell them, you need to get in on it. Switch jerseys and live into this 
new eternal reality. Listen, Jesus is Lord. He is Lord over you. He is Lord over your circumstance. And he has paid the price to set us free. Stand with me, church. Let's sing.